All right, welcome to the Jigs Up. And again, my name is Darcy, and as always, my co-pilot on this journey is Jason. How's it going, buddy? Good. How are you this evening, Darcy? I am doing great. It's, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Halloween Eve? All Hallows Eve, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So you all, you all excited for Halloween? Oh, hey, I am all for discount candy. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, you got uh, like four kids, so you should get like tons. Oh yeah, it's hey Walmart man, you buy it by the bulk. <laughs> um, so we have quite a bit to talk about tonight. Um, I wanted to start off with Halloween costumes, considering it's Halloween. So why not start there? Uh, and every Métis person in his favorite time of year. Absolutely, and you know I know there's the the constant controversy over the Pocahontas and the you know the brave outfits that you see at these places which are fairly demeaning and uh, always created nothing but a controversy but I kind of want to bring this into the Métis realm because there was a fellow, uh, there was pictures posted on the internet by some people that were in uh, higher levels of the government, I don't know if it was the city of Edmonton or the the government of Alberta but I I think it was the city of Edmonton and uh, the guy he was uh, apparently a historical interpreter at some point in his life he's non-indigenous, not Métis but he made himself a pair of boots and a leather jacket, and he threw together a toque and a sash and called dressed up as a voyageur. Um, and I, I posted it on the internet, and or, on, or I shared it on Facebook, I guess. I seen, and really the only people that seem to get offended by this is, for the most part, is First Nations people who are offended anybody's dressing up as an Indigenous person. But the overwhelming re- majority of Métis are like, eh, who cares? Eh, it's all good. So I don't know. How do you feel about that, Jason? How do you feel about people dressing up as voyageurs and, and Métis? Uh, well, again, I got a bit, a bit of a split personality on that. Um, we get a lot of people, like up where I live, there's a, a lot of reenactors, uh, they call themselves, who do a lot of canoe trips down the Athabasca. And they all wear, some of them are French sashes uh, with a loom weave. Some of them are, you know, knockoff Métis um, sashes. Yeah. And they got the, the whole Voyager canoes, and they're doing the whole trip, and it's kind of a reenactment of those frontier days. And so I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think the bigger challenge I have is Métis people in general, um, by and large, have missed an opportunity and continue, I think, to miss an opportunity that the great majority of the Voyager people were, were, you know, mating, mixed blood people. Yeah. And so I think that that is part of the narrative that is missed in the re- retelling of uh, colonial Canada about its history is, is the whole a concept of voyagers intrinsically, by definition, are were Métis people. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, there's... There's two two camps of thought on this. You know, obviously there's people that think it's totally okay and who cares, it's just a Halloween costume. And then there's the other side that thinks it's, you know, you're you're dressing up as a culture, so that's not really that's not really cool. Um and it's it's hard for me because I see how damaging it is to have people dress up as uh, First Nations people. And yet at the same time a lot of people seem okay with this. And for me it, it I, I don't know what I, I I don't like it for a couple of reasons, but it's not I think what people think it is. It's uh, for me, it's 
you have a dominant culture who for, uh, I don't know, well, let's say for easy math, just to say for 500 years now has tried to kill, destroy, and eradicate indigenous people of all kinds across North America. Um, but you have, the, especially here in Canada, it's been 500 years of murder, death, torture, suicide, uh, um, you know, experiments and smallpox blankets and all this shit. And and then it's and then they want to dress up as indigenous people. And that to me is where I kind of draw the line because you look at even today with Voyager Métis and things like that, um the Voyageurs were typically Eastern Canadian and a little bit, you know, moving towards the West. Well, who who accepts uh, Eastern Métis right now? Not you know the government certainly doesn't recognize them. The M cartel doesn't recognize them, um, but yet it's it's okay to kind of dress up as this, um, and so that's that's kind of where I have my problem with it. Um, is just the fact that you know you have this dominant culture that's tried to kill off, and by all signs and sim and and of the road we're on here, um, Eastern Métis are are arguably in the last throes of colonization of completely being eradicated by the fact that the government doesn't recognize them. The cartel's working actively against them. Uh, they've even got First Nations now on board saying that they never existed. So to me, that's the last that's the last part of the road of colonization is to deny you ever existed. And uh, so I, I think it's kind of kind of offensive to dress up as somebody who you're telling me never really existed. And didn't have the right to uh, ever exist, um, and and parade around like it's like it's happy times and a joke. And so that's kind of where I'm at with it. And I don't know. That seems to be the the very small small major or opinion though. Well, I, I think that boils down to the the what I was getting to there was education. Is that most people don't equate Métis people with. Um, voyagers. We have this yeah. whole imagery, and there's been documents you can go on YouTube watching. You know, they you know did specials. The government funded several specials on the voyagers and reenactment and and portraying what it was to portage and, and do those kinds of things. Yeah, and they've always shown it more from a French perspective that these were largely French men who did yeah. this kind of stuff, and uh, and so it's a retelling uh, of that. And I think it boils down to the fact that most people, like like you said, the government's great ability to marginalize indigenous people across the board. And I think Métis people, particularly when it comes to that imagery, yep. have been totally eradicated from the picture. You don't, you know, you'll see the odd picture where there's, you know, First Nations people in a canoe uh, with yep. the, the traditional clothes on and and uh, but when it comes to someone wearing the, the toque and a sash, that's immediately put right over to that was someone who was French. Yes. Um, and so not not someone who may you know was highly likely to to be Métis. And like you said, I think this it really has allowed this the Canadian states reinterpretation of the exploration with these big canoes and trading up and down the river systems was largely done by European men, either English or French, and it had nothing to do with Métis people. By the, by the colonial government spinning that, it has allowed the cartel and, and a lot of Western Métis to marginalize 
how a lot of the things uh, happened, especially moving from the Great Lakes region right into the Red River, where where all the big canoes went. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I think you're completely right as far as, uh, you know, it's definitely an education issue. Um, I, I think, you know, if... I suspect that if somebody was to dress up, I don't even know if somebody was to dress up more as a Western, you know, buffalo hunter Métis, would that be more offensive to some? I I don't know. Um, It just seems odd to me that people are okay with, uh, you know, the dominant genocidal culture being dressing up as you. And, you know, I I look at this and I, I know that a lot of people don't, want to equate or or compare genocides. And I don't think we should compare genocides, but the reality is is if you go to Germany on Halloween, you're not going to see a lot of Germans dressing up as Holocaust survivors. Um, if you go, you know, dressing up with blackface and with slave clothing on isn't exactly a, a you know, an accepted practice anywhere. <laughs> so so then, so then, why does it? Why is this okay? And I think, um, I think that's my bigger question: is why are Métis okay with this? Uh, some people mentioned that, well, this isn't you know traditional regalia and all this, and and the truth is, I, there's a lot of you know Pocahontas costumes that don't have traditional regalia; they're still offensive. So, I why why is this not more offensive to Métis? Is it is it because we well, are I think, part I think... European? I don't know. Well, I think some of it, though, is what we've talked about before, is that when the, the big difference between uh, First Nations culture and Métis culture specifically is, from my perspective, is may, Indigenous people have the powwow. And you can go to the powwow and you can see the regalia. You see that when leadership from First Nations community talk, you can see the headdress there and you can see this the symbolism and the significance of what it means uh, in that setting to, to this day. Um, and so this whole genre of either when you're talking Pocahontas, the over-sexualization of Indigenous women, yeah. given how Indigenous women are treated in this culture, uh, speaks volumes. Um, and so it should be opposed on that. But to dress up as a Métis person specifically, or as a Voyager person who, you know, obviously would have been Métis, we don't have that as Métis people. There isn't that same... Uh, cross Canada demonstration of a publicity that goes on. It's not Métis people who put on frontier days and we travel down the rivers to reenact our ancestors yeah. in the canoes. It's, it's Europeans celebrating some of their ancestry. Um, you know, the settlers are reenacting this and Métis people are going to marginalize. We're, we're sidelined in that storytelling. And so when people wear a sash, they don't know the difference. Honestly, I talk to them. They don't know the difference between a loom woven sash and even a knockoff finger pattern, finger woven sash pattern. Mm-hmm. They don't know the difference. Yeah. And so when they're thinking, hey, I'm going to buy a sash and I'm going to pretend I'm a voyager, they don't know the difference. Yeah. And this largely boils down to that Métis people have let this go by the wayside. It's not something that's prevalent in our culture unless – you happen to be one of the select few who has, you know, ponied up serious dollars to get a authentic finger woven sash by a Métis artist. And even if you were, when, when would you wear it? You know, if you happen to go to Batash at some point in time, uh, or you're part of a small collective group that does something on their own, but really it's out of the mainstream's consciousness, as it were, compared to what the First Nations do at the powwow, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I I think you made a really good point there. I think uh there is there is something to be said for the fact that we don't have, you know, there there's powwow season. We don't have uh <laughs> Métis season. I don't know whatever you would want to call it. Um but there's that's right. There's no Voyager reenactment days. There's no reenactment of the buffalo hunt. There's no, you know, we don't even hold reproduction you know, Buffalo hunt captain elections. We don't, there's none of that that goes on. There's none of the, other than what goes on the once a year deal at Batash. We don't have this rolling um, jig competitions. We don't have, you know, they happen sporadically. Yeah. You know, we don't have, we don't have the jig trail. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, know, I can, I can get on and I can follow the powwow trail all across Alberta and the West and Absolutely. all across Canada. And in, in fact, that doesn't happen with Métis people at all. Not even here in the West where we have the cartel, does that happen? No, and, and, and it's a good point. I mean, we don't have uh, huge, um, you know, festivals and, and, and jigging competitions or whatever. I mean, you, you look at some of these, these powwows that are happening in the summer times and I mean, they're heavily attended. There's, there's thousands of people that go to powwows throughout the year, even just within one province or two. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's very much different. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, I, I guess partly I can see why Métis people wouldn't be bothered because I mean, to some extent these were work clothes. These were just clothes that fur traders wore. So, you know, if we're going to dress up as cowboys, then why isn't it okay to dress up as fur traders? I think the difference though, for me is, is that you're not, you you're not really dressing up as uh, just a job, you know. You're because it is ingrained into um, culture. Uh, the toques, the sashes, even the the jackets and the, the beadwork and things like that. These are very, very uniquely Métis, and you know the fur traders and people that that had these things were connected to a culture. And and so for me, that's where I draw the line. I mean. There's a reason that I don't, you know, let my daughter dress up with, you know, paint a sugar skull on her face and, you know, do that kind of thing. It's because there's a, there's a culture behind that. Whereas you look at a cowboy and stuff like that, well, I guess that's sort of cultural, but it's not. You know, and it, it was just uh, European clothing made more functional by the area you lived in. But these were really, um, I mean, that was just clothing of the day. That was the... That was the style of the day at that time in that place. Whereas like a lot of the Métis clothing and stuff wasn't a style. I mean, it, it was, but it wasn't. It was it was a functional clothing that was tied to a culture. And I think what what's the difference now between that and uh, some non-Métis, you know, fake building a Red River cart and 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 doing reenactments of, of the real uh, resistance and and being at all a field of non-Métis people reenacting that. I mean, where is that? Would that is that okay? I don't. I don't think it's okay. But it seems to me that a I'm lot of people do. Given the fact how uh, popular these days reenactment situations are, I'm quite honestly not surprised that there isn't a group of reenactors re redoing the Battle of Atosh. Um, yeah, the simple true. the simple fact of the historical significance of it. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's no Métis people there because let's be really honest. Why would Métis people mind if people dressed up like Voyagers and put on Métis sashes and pretended to be Métis because uh, of two things. A, Métis people don't care about their culture. 
yeah. we, we we have no enthusiasm in the West or anywhere. I don't see anywhere on social media about people posting when they ha- held anything resembling a get together. You know, you don't find it on social media. You can go Google. It is few and far between. Yeah. Uh, so Métis people in themselves don't give a crap. You want to put a sash on, you want to pretend you're, you're a half breed, a Buffalo hunter or a Voyager. You just give her hard because we don't even pretend ourselves anymore. So, yeah, you know, Really, it's the real revel- relevance to everyday goings on of Métis people. The sash, the jackets, the beadwork, you know, other than a few significant artists like uh, Christy Belcourt keeping these things alive and some, some very dedicated finger-weaving sash ladies. This is a lost art. It's a dying culture. It really is relegated to the art of uh, the reenactor to keep it alive. Yeah. So I'm I'm not surprised Métis people aren't offended by it because what is there to get offended by when you don't do it yourself? Well, and I agree, and I think part of this whole journey down the road of colonization has has done a wondrous job. I mean, we we as a lot of and I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna venture to to throw an opinion out that probably to white passing Métis it doesn't matter, and probably to non white passing Métis it probably does matter. Um, for those that get lumped into the category of, you know, Indians and stereotyped, it probably does matter. And, and for those who just can move around in this world without a care in the world, I, I think it wouldn't matter. And so I think I think you, with this topic, especially for Métis, I think you really see the colonial mindset of whatever, everything's open for everybody to play with and do whatever they want with. Everything's fine. Because that's kind of the mentality of colonization. Whatever is anybody else's is ours too. So we can do whatever we want with it. So then if somebody else does, it's like, eh, that's okay too. Whereas for those who, um, I'm not even going to say are less colonial, but are maybe not as able to freely move throughout this world without some sort of discrimination or stereotype or or being lumped in with the, you know them damn Indians, quote unquote, um, I, I think it's a much different reality. And so I think... I think there might be something to that as well. I, I mean, I can't say for sure, but I think it just seems to me that the people that were the least offended were people who are very ingrained in Canadian society, people who identify as Canadian before anything else, people who, um, even though they're Métis, they get pissed off at First Nations people for getting all the tax breaks and all these things. And that kind of is going to lead into our next subject, but... Um, but that's kind of how I saw it play out on, on at least on social media anyway, for what I saw. I think so. I, I, and I, I think that it should be a stark reminder, and it's a real, should be, but won't be a call to action. I mean, if we're going to call a spade a spade, yeah. the majority of, of Métis people won't at any point attend a Métis function. Uh, they'll rarely ever, I mean, you and I have been to uh, you know, a few Métis events over the last couple of years. Uh, specifically by Métis, for Métis, and you don't see anybody showing up with sashes on. You don't, yeah. you know. So the sash in and of itself is is not like the equivalent in our culture to the headdress yeah. or to, to those kinds of things. It just simply isn't to Métis people. They don't have that pride and that passion. We use it in symbolism for our politicians. Um, you know, they yeah. wear the, the button or they'll drape it around their shoulders or what have you for those kinds of things. You see some beadwork. You see lots of the Métis politicians and all their fancy regalia beadwork at every opportunity you can, but the average person, uh, when given an opportunity at a venue to 
put on their finest Métis outfits and, and show culture and show cultural pride and cultural relevance, you won't find it. You'll find suits, you'll find ties, you'll find blue jeans, you'll find cowboy hats. You won't find much beadwork. You won't hardly, you won't see a sash at all. So, yeah. Well, and I, and I think this plays into a lot of conversations we've had about, uh, you know, the engagement of Métis people when it comes to even their elections or just daily life. Um, it goes to conversations I've had with numerous people about, uh, you know, the relevance to of these these items, these, uh, you know, the sash the and things like that. You know, how does how are these things relevant on a day-to-day basis for a lot of Métis right now? And, and I just don't don't see them impacting people on a daily basis. Now, I think it's very different when you look at First Nations who, you know, not everybody has a headdress, so it might not impact them on a daily basis, but when they see somebody with one, they they know. They just have a certain, I mean, there's a, there's a different energy in the room. There's a different atmosphere. Everybody is well aware what that headdress represents, what it means, who that person is even. I mean, it's very different, and it's so I think it, it, it speaks volumes to, like you said, the lack of engagement. Um, and we've talked endlessly about that when you're only having 10% voter turnout. When you, I mean, you, you go to have a Métis event or a Métis potluck and it's the same 20 people that go. And, and like you said, nobody's wearing a sash except for the, the eight jigging uh, teenagers they have who wear their sashes as part of their costume. And so... It is. Mm-hmm. It screams to me a total yeah, exactly. lack of engagement. And I think it, it is. And I think it on a on a ground level, on a like you you said, a day in day out basis, the difference we I see anyway from my corner of the world between First Nations people and Métis people when it comes to cultural engagement is First Nations people are willing to put it on anything they wear. It doesn't matter whether it's t-shirt, ball cap. You pick an item, and First Nations people oh, have die. Native pride slapped on it. There's yeah. a logo. Y- you won't see, and you won't. You can start one right now, and you won't sell it. Any kind of Métis pride T-shirts. Yeah, there's not. There's not an equivalent in Métis culture with Métis pride. Yeah, a few people have come up with hats and probably sold a few. You know, there's the odd T-shirt slogan yeah. that comes out, and you get a few. You can slap Riel's face on a T-shirt, and you'll sell a few. But by a mass, with uh, you know over half a million Métis people in Canada, there's just not that same fervent slap Métis on everything because I'm damn proud of my culture attitude. Yeah, absolutely. I well, and I mean, there's a, just a general lack of knowledge within Canada. I mean, I. I've been to many places uh, over the last two years, you know, doing this podcast and stuff where, you know, I'll, I'll be wearing a jig, one of our jig is up t-shirts and, you know, people ask me like, oh, what's that? And I'll say, oh, it's my podcast. You know, it's Métis focused. And they're like, what's Métis? <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> so, but that happens to me quite frequently. And so this all loops back to what we first started with, which was the lack of education. So when, when you, if you were to, because I actually said, uh, the last time this happened to me, I said, well, you know, like like voyageurs, and they're like, oh, right, yeah, yeah, like fur traders. I'm like, yeah, exactly. So people are well aware what a ver- voyageur is and a fur trader is, but it's like you said, they don't they don't know what, you know, a Métis or a half-breed was. They just know those are French, you know, fur traders or English. And, and so, you, you know, we go back in these loops of these conversations. We're right back to education again. And I think that's why this is okay. It's... There's barely any engagement by by Métis people unless 
you're uh, an academic fighting the, the, the evil scourge that is the Eastern Métis, uh, there's really no engagement online. I mean, even even on social media, unless you're posting a very controversial thing like, you know, Eastern Métis or, and things like that, there's hardly any conversations about uh, really going on about anything Métis. And when you look at that, it's the same 12 people that are always posting it. Um, and so you just don't have that engagement. I think it's... I think it's really sad because I don't think we should accept the the dominant, oppressing, genocidal culture to dress up like us. I think it, it sets a really bad precedent, but I'm well, in the I wrong. Think, well, and I, I think the challenge we have is we don't have Métis people who are willing to actively engage in the perpetuation of, of Métis items of clothing and Métis yeah. style, Métis art, Métis language. Yeah. These things are all going by the wayside because it's much easier for Métis people to fit in and to blend in with, with our colonial oppressors. You and I both know that there's easy ways just to incorporate your sash into an everyday wear. I don't yep. know too many men that don't wear a belt. It's easy to get a sash now made that fits into your belt loops. Yeah. You know, um, simple things. You know, you can you can go online and you can find um, knockoff beaded patterns that you can inkjet on a T-shirt. Hands down. You can yep. do it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm no genius, and I can figure these kinds of things out. I just don't see the passionate fervor that our First Nations relations have when it comes to ensuring that the Métis way of life, Métis culture, Métis art, Métis, you know, these items are carried forward you know, for the next generation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think, uh, you know... Um, not to beat a dead horse too much, but I do think when I look at the organizations and how they're acting these days, like specifically the cartel, but even even other organizations, um, there is it's it's about money, it's about colonial politics, it's not about culture. Um, the Métis Nation of Alberta events spends next to nothing of their budget on cultural events. Um, even even what goes on at uh, you know Métis Crossing and stuff, most of that is government funded specifically for you know events and it's to and but it's not coming out of the Métis Nation budget. Um, so you know you look at these Métis Nations and you, you just have to say, well, no, it's it's little wonder that the culture and the sash and things like that aren't as it don't don't seem to be really as important to people as they used to be. Well, it's because there's been I mean, I, I remember seeing thing about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, where the Métis Nation of Alberta was putting a call out to see if anybody was out there that knew how to build a Red River cart. And I just thought, you're supposed to be the government, who you know, quote unquote, that that represents people, and you don't even know you don't even know who you know, like who can build a Red River cart. You don't even know you don't have anybody that you know that can build a Red River cart. That to me says the the culture's dying. And these organizations aren't doing anything to support culture. They're doing everything to support colonial politics. They're so focused on being a government, they're they're completely forgetting that there's a culture here. Like, and like you said, they they dress up in their little regalia when they go in front of the press, but but they're not supporting the culture. They're it, it, they're political, and that's it. And they're colonial, and that's it. And I think that's where a lot of this boils down to. I think. Uh, a lot of the disengagement by Métis people is probably a result of the fact that there's no culture to it. It's just money and politics. So who cares? That's 
A lot of people are real tired of that shit. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's it's a spillover. Absolutely, we have a complete disengagement, like you said, politically. We and that translate, I think, real really boils down to culturally. That uh, although Métis people are enshrined as a unique people group in the Constitution of Canada and recognized that way, I'm not sure the Métis people recognize themselves anymore. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 kind of a sad sad statement. I thought I thought it, it's pretty bad when there's First Nations that are upset about people dressing as Métis, but not Métis that are upset. And it led into uh, there were several conversations I had that I somehow got sucked into on Facebook, which I hate, but. Um, anyway, I got sucked into him and, and it was, uh, this kind of leads into our next topic as well, but it, there was a conversation I got into about, uh, you know, somebody posted something and these people got on and started commenting about how, you know, um, you know, first nations didn't have to pay taxes and we did and blah, blah, blah. And I just, I feel like there's a real disconnect for a lot of, uh, Métis people and between Métis and First Nations, and you know, Métis in their own culture, Métis and First Nations, and I'm not talking about the 25 people that are constantly, you know, po- posting things on Facebook and social media, trying to build, you know, remember posting even old photos saying, "Hey, here's my grandparents," and you know, wasn't this a cool way of life? I'm not talking about those people. There is, there is certainly a group of Métis that have a very strong hold on their culture and are very cool that way. But when you look, like you said, there's like 500,000 Métis or whatever it is, um, there's a vast majority that we're missing out on. <laughs> you know, even mm-hmm. even if I say optimistically, there's a hundred people on social media that are just, you know, adamant to post at least one thing a day about Métis culture. That is 100 out of 500,000 people. And so really what we're talking about is, is the remaining, say, 480,000 people or 90, 490,000 people that aren't connected to their culture. And there's a real disrespect for First Nation people coming from them. And, uh, you know, the one guy I got talking with is, you know, claims he's a harvester and he works for the people. And it's like, yeah, but dude, you're, you're, you're trashing First Nations to, because, and you're, you're saying these political organizations like the cartel have your best interests at heart, but it's okay, so it's okay for them to trample on First Nations rights. And uh, I don't know. It, it it's just seems like that's, you know, because of the disconnect in the Métis culture for a lot of people, then it's easy to disconnect from that First Nation side of things. Well, I think this boils down to misplaced blame. And it, it comes from, I think, a real lack of... Of uh, let's let's not be honest. We don't read up on our own history. We don't ask how the Métis people got to here. We call ourselves the forgotten people. You know, we call ourselves the road allowance people. What we're what we a lot of people feel out of that is that we never, you know, we were sidelined in that deal. Um, you know, where's the Métis reservations? Where's the Métis tax-free exemption? Where's the Métis, you know, programs and services that we've been fighting for to to gain? You know. Well, from from a lot of, for lack of a better term, really, what what our First Nations relations have, yeah, you know, they they have treaty, they've got tax exemptions, they have all these things that Métis people don't. It's really misplaced blame to look and say that's First Nations' fault. Oh yeah, completely. Yeah, and I think if you're going to say, well, they have it, and we don't, and that's their fault. I think really shows how colonized and disconnected people are from from not only the Métis culture, 
but just from the indigenous experience at all. Completely. And, and you know what, some of the one things you were saying there were almost word for word what this uh, fellow was saying, um, you know, because he was he was very excited about how, where the cartel's taking things because now we're going to get our due. And he said almost the, the exact same, you know, First Nations of, you know, they've never paid taxes and we always have. And now we're getting close and, you know, First Nations always had this and we never did. So we're, we're getting really close and. And so I, I think that's kind of funny that you, you almost said it word for word what this guy was posting. <laughs> but uh, because, Well, because the sad thing is you don't have to, to, to be involved in social media to, to be out there in the community. You feel that vibe. You know this is what yeah. this driving the cartel to sign these MOUs because they think, and, and this is what we got to really address, I think as Métis people, we need to take a long, hard look in the mirror and we need to start calling a spade a spade is that Métis people by and large have been colonized and degraded to such that they think that being indigenous is about getting programs and services yeah. from the government. Yeah. That's the fight. The fight as an indigenous person is to get programs and services from the government. And I think what a crock, how have we really missed the boat if that's, you know, if that's a perspective that we're going to take. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, certainly you know, the cartels support that. I mean, that's exactly what they fight for is to become a government a colonial government with a colonial structure under a colonial government underneath a colonial government underneath another colonial government. Anyway, uh, there's about eight layers of government that they want to be under, but it's all colonial, and all they want to do is be a program and service provider. And uh, and so I think after, what are we now, 30-some years later after the repatriation of the Constitution, after that many years of that message being out there, well, now we're getting into, uh, you know, what Neil deGrasse Tyson calls the political truth, which is you say it enough times and people believe it, no matter whether it's true or not. And I, I think we're there. I think we're, it's very clear that that's where we're at. They've they've convinced people there's no Eastern Métis so that they get all the money. They've convinced people that uh, it's all about programs and services and culture. Yeah, you on the local level, you guys can, uh, you know, scrape together enough money to throw on an event once in a while and, you know... But that's not our. That's not what we do. We don't care. And so they've they've put that message out there for thirty some years, and now people believe that's what it is to be Métis is to get programs and services. When you look at these guys that are committing fraud by using fake uh, or or Métis cards as fake in, uh, Indian status cards, that's what they're looking for is programs and services uh, that they and and benefits that they can get out of this card. So. That's that's kind of where it's come from, yeah. I think it's or it's what it's boiled down to, anyway. Which is sad. Well, and it's been a real snow job from the federal government. No, oh, yeah. Because the federal government has a, ex, done an excellent job at allowing the perception that this is a First Nations versus Métis problem, and that Métis people are trying to fight against First Nations people for equality, and not recognizing that First Nations communities that blame isn't with them; it's with the federal government. And that, you know, and so it's created this animosity. And so our greatest ally in trying to achieve equality between our two indigenous peoples, First Nations and Métis, our greatest ally, which was the First Nations, is the exactly where the cartel puts its finger and says, no, this is their fault. Yeah, exactly. And really, this is a, a, fault, a fault that should be placed at the federal government. First Nations, people who, by the large, have the, the most uh, activism, are the biggest threat to the federal government because they have treaties should have been our natural ally to ensure 
then when we're talking taxes, when we're talking programs and services, and most importantly, what should be the most important topic of all, when we have lands, uh, when we're having these discussions, First Nations communities, bands, you know, treaty partners should have been our first go-to uh, ally. Has become, has become our biggest opponent. Yep. And as the biggest adversary, we, the cartel is more aligned with the government, its perspectives and agenda in creating programs and services for Métis people than it is with First Nations people. And I think that is the telltale sign that we got real problems. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to talk colonial uh, mentalities, I mean, that's the perfect example of it right there. Um, and yeah, totally summed it up perfectly there. Um, and, you know, I, I think the other thing that they've they've kind of continuously done is is re you know they've they've kind of restructured history uh but they've also restructured where our uh, metis rights comes from and they've they've changed that narrative to mean your rights come from the cartel or whatever organization you're in uh the rights come from specifically from communities but is when you, when we talk about indigenous rights um, I mean, is it right to, you know, like, did they come from Red River? Did they come from colonial colonial recognized communities? Did they come from the Constitution? Or did they come from that First Nations blood that flows in our veins? And for me, if if I wanted hunting rights, my hunting rights are contingent on the fact that I have the blood of, of you know, pre-contact people in my veins. That is where my, my hunt, you know, my... My, my indigenous rights come from. Uh, granted, Métis formed communities and things like that, but our rights were there long before those communities were formed. And so I think, but they've, they've reframed it as such as that, you know, if you don't have our plastic card, you shouldn't have rights. If you don't have the right plastic card, we, you don't have rights. And, and so not only have they reframed kind of, you know, the history and all these other things, They've completely re- reframed where our rights come from, and so as to distance themselves away from First Nations. And I think it's it's it it, it bothers me so much when I see all these people claiming that Eastern Métis are all frauds and the things like that. When you look at what the cartel is doing, and the cartel is reframing it like our Indigenous rights have nothing to do with First Nations; they're our well, rights. I, uh, I, I think there, there's a dangerous and a, a little discussed piece of history that I think um, people can take it for what it is. But it's two versions of rights and where they come from. You know, uh, we look at our First Nations relations as the original people, the people that have always been here, and that's where the rights come from. Yeah. Métis people aren't the original people. Yes. So where do, where do our rights come from? If we're talking about ourselves as, as a distinct, complete uh, people group that's outside, that's unique, on one hand, you have First Nations. On the other hand, you have the colonial settlers. Where do the Métis people fit in? Yeah. And sadly, what is not discussed, and I think this is to a great detriment to to the vision of Métis people going to the future and maintaining our originality, <laughs> is, this, <laughs> is this fact, is that Métis people have adopted the colonial perspective that to be Indigenous, one only has to be have had been on the land before the colonial government exerted control. That's right. And that is the definition that the cartel has put forward. And that is why the, yes. that's the premise by which they negate 
Eastern Métis is because they're saying, look at how could you have really been there? How can you have been authentically uh, in control of a historic community before the French government originally in Quebec took control of the province? And so yeah. therefore you can't, you can't be, you know, you can't be Métis because to be Métis is Indigenous, to be Indigenous is to have title and that title pre-exists colonial exertion. Yep. That, that's the fallacy. That's the argument of the colonial perspective. And what they don't want to talk about, and here's, here's the, 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 the silver bullet that, that kills everyone on this is if that's true, if that's the definition you want to go with, then the truth is the Icelandic community in Manitoba is Indigenous. Yes. Because they exerted control over the land in Manitoba before the federal government got there. No, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. So where does Indigenous claim come from for the Métis people? The fact that we're harmonious cousins, if you will, kin to our First Nations relations. Yeah. A a distinct people group for sure. We've always formed our own communities, but those communities have always resided within the host territory or nation that we lived in. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, whether, whether you believe in the colonial, um, I guess, storyline that, that our rights come from the recognition by the colonial government of our rights or whatever, or the, what you just described, Jason, I think the, the end result is, is a lot of people claim that they're, you know, they're, they're this, they're that. And, and they, they always mention, you know, Cree and, and whatever their first nation side of the family is, but then, then they allow organizations to represent them who completely, for lack of a better term, shit all over First Nations at <laughs> any chance they get. Um, and and that is that is simply the truth. It's it's not really much for opinion when you look at what they do. I mean, Chartrand is famous for telling, um, you know, a, a, chief, a First Nation chief in, in Manitoba that they don't own the land. And you look at what the Métis Nation of Alberta is doing right now by negotiating hunting rights with not a single uh, First Nations person in the room. Uh, there's an absolute disconnect in Treaty 7 between uh, a lot of First Nations and, and Métis. Um, and, you know, certainly the Blackfoot will not recognize Métis hunting rights, uh, which is why they, the government's not even pushing that one. They're, they're, not, they're not even going to try to bother with, with uh, working a deal with the Métis because they don't want to deal with the Blackfoot fallout. And, and so when you have all these things, it's, it's not really, you know, even our opinion that, that they don't work with their first nations family. They don't. Um, but a lot of people still hold those values, but then allow them to represent them. And I think that's, that's just, uh, you know, that's permission by, by, uh, by just being lazy, by not, not standing up. Um, one of the comments that was made by this fellow on social media is that uh, you know he's doing he's you know he supports Métis from all all the all over the place and I thought well that's great but you're part of an organization that doesn't and actively fights against them and his response was well you know not everybody feels that way well then why does your organization feel that way why do you allow your organization to put out these things that you obviously don't feel. Um, and it's ridiculous. So I just, I find it really uh, difficult. You're just kind of always going in circles with this because it's like, but you, you, yet you let these organizations represent you that do these things, but you say they, they, that's not how you feel. Well, then you need to change your organizations. <laughs> 
Well, but I think this is where Métis people are over a barrel, and they put themselves there, is they've allowed the government to fund one organization, one horse in the race that has all the money. Yeah. And we live in a day right now where that Justin Trudeau lottery ticket is about to cash in, brother, and we can't <laughs> right. screw the pooch on this. we got to get that money. Yes. And at the same time, we, we acknowledge, and you see it, you know, just like you said, we, uh, we have one organization that is usurping uh, land and title away from First Nations who we should be partnering with in the preservation of land and waters and these things. Absolutely. And yet, you know, I mean, and Manitoba by far is the most blaring, you know, sore thumb of this situation where you have Métis people trying to exert mass land grab over top of First Nations community with zero consultation. Absolutely. You know, th- th- this couldn't be a worst case scenario. But here we are. And so on one hand, we talk about, oh, Indigenous, we're all Indigenous together, yeah, 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 Uh, right up until it's like, well, yeah, but geez, those damn Indians, they get uh, tax-free status and they get all these reservations and boy, we're still getting screwed as Métis people and it's their damn fault, you know, but hey, we're all still Indigenous together. It's like, how does that work, man, in your little world? You got to be able to have some, uh, you know, cohesiveness here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you you know, you look at uh, even, even this pipeline. Very controversial. Uh, some First Nations didn't want it. Some did. Uh, obviously, the cartel jumped all over it and said, yay, ha, because they figured it's going to be a big paycheck for them. But there again, they didn't even take into account that, okay, well, maybe uh, maybe there's most of our Métis in B.C. don't want it. Maybe some of them in Alberta, Saskatchewan do. And maybe uh, some in Manitoba don't. But what are the First Nations along that route feel? And even to say, you know, we support it in the areas where First Nations support it, and we don't support it in the areas that First Nations don't support it, even that would be a more respectful tone. But, they, the, you know, they take every opportunity to get just simply a paycheck from a colonial government. And that's, I guess that's always been, always my issue with a lot of this stuff, is that they do this on the backs of uh, First Nations people. So the the cartel, and the reason I call them that is because, or part of it is because they, they're doing this, you know, with the colonial government. Like, this is just another form of colonization of what they're doing. Of Well, we have hunting rights that have nothing to do with First Nations. So we don't even need to talk to them. Yeah, but this is their original territory. And I'm sorry, but you you do have to respect that. At, and, and I don't care if your great-great-grandma was Cree. You still have to respect those Cree territories. So you don't just get to usurp them because you got one sixty fourth of your blood is Cree, or even a half breed. You know, half your blood is Cree. You don't get to just usurp that. You got to respect what they want. But it all boils down to money. And I think that's the whole indigenous. Yeah, it is. And how money separates, and how we believe that there's more than one land, and there's more than one herd of deer, and there's more than you know one water system. You know, the water is just one, and there's only one water. There's only one land. There's only one resource and instead of standing together to protect that you know we're fighting over who's going to get what piece and we allow the government to pretend that it has an autonomous control to roll it out you know yeah the government has all this crown land it is in possession of all this crown land and we poor Métis are just fighting for us to get that piece of that pie back without ever acknowledging that that crown land is usurped by by the crown from and look at 
we understand this is all your territory. Yeah. Where where can where can Métis once again live within your home territory, and then create a unified front, and then then go take the government to task over recognition. Yeah. You know where we don't care. We don't care where where the Cree communities are. We don't care where the reservations are. We don't care where their ceremonial places are. We only care that we get a piece of the government's pie, and that's what this is really about now, is a war between First Nations and, and Métis people about who's going to get what piece of this pie. Absolutely, and, uh, and we had a little uh, internet glitch there, but uh, but I, I think you're right. Um, and I want to kind of get into... <laughs> I, I want to jump into the last thing we have tonight, um, kind of moving away from that. I mean, we could talk literally for hours and hours on this stuff, so... We're going to give our, our listeners a bit of a break, and we're going to jump to another topic. Um, I, I read this late in the afternoon, so I, I haven't even told Jason about this, so I'm, I'm gonna, we're getting his uh, like raw reaction to this tonight, folks, so very exciting. <laughs> I got this a, uh, press release from the Manitoba Métis Federation, uh, and they recently, um, well, actually, I guess last weekend, the 27th, 28th, they had a meeting in uh, Regina and with the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan. And I think, well, I'll just read it here. Uh, so the first time they go on to say, you know, that the first time these two, uh, oh, sorry, they call it a joint cabinet summit. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so this joint cabinet summit, uh, the first time these two cabinets met was in uh, Cor- Cranberry Portage in 1978. This was the beginning of the formation of the Métis National Council. Oh, my God. It's, this is so hard to even read with they call it a joint cabinet summit. Um, but they recently uh, got together again, and so that's some, you know, groundbreaking news. And uh, they signed a declaration, uh, which is a commitment by both governments... Um, which would be the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan um, Nonprofit Society and the Manitoba Métis Federation Nonprofit Society uh, to work to continue to work side by side promoting progress and prosperity for Métis Nation citizens and seeking cooperative and productive initiatives between the two of them. Now, I, I Jason, your thoughts. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. It's like mic drop, face palm. I don't know. Like, <laughs> seriously. So the Métis people of Manitoba are now so uniquely distinct from the Métis people living in Saskatchewan that they have to have this big summit like, hey, man, it's good to see you again. Been a long time. Wow. You know, you're on the other end of the world from us and no, our ancestors are not related. You know, like... Well, and why is this imaginary line of Manitoba and Saskatchewan, you know, when, when there's like two million people that live in the whole combined provinces together? Right. It's, you know, is some like mass meeting of Métis peoples is like, I don't I, know. Well, the thing that strikes me is they're signing it, like they're signing a declaration to continue to work side by side promoting progress and prosperity for Métis Nation citizens and seeking opportunities to work together on initiatives. Isn't that kind of what being part of the cartel is? I, I just assumed that that's what they did. I don't know why we need another declaration to... It's like 
It's like me and you signing, sitting down the next time I'm up in your neck of the woods there, Jason, signing, sitting down and signing an agreement to continue to do a podcast on Tuesday night. Well, what, For the betterment and continuation yeah, like, of our friendship in our podcast. Right, like... Yes. <laughs> Where's just, our paperwork, man? Holy shit, like... But I, I think this totally explains where would they get these goddamn travel budgets, um, is that they just have to travel and spend money. I mean... What was this meeting even needed for? To sign a declaration saying you're going to continue to do something? Like, who does that? When I when I go to work, I don't have to sign a contract every year with my company saying, I'm going to continue to work there if they continue to pay me. It's just kind of understood. That's how it works. So when you have this cartel and these all these provinces, even though they're siloed away from each other, and but they all vote into the Métis National Council, theoretically. Aren't they all supposed to just work together? Like, I don't. I it, it just. But this is very, very, very colonial. Again, it's a great example of this colonial mentality of, well, let's have a meeting and sign an agreement. What's the agreement going to be on? I don't know. That we're going to continue to be nice to each other and work together. Yeah, that sounds great. Then we can put it on the press like our joint cabinet summit successfully step in defending Métis Nation future. That's what they've titled the media release. First of all, you're not a joint cabinet because you're not a government. Uh, and defending Métis Nation future, okay, isn't that what you're already doing? Like, well, I, I, I just, it baffles me that we need contracts and declarations for shit we're already supposed to be doing. Um... <laughs> I don't well, know. I do love, I do love the application of you know those deep rooted you know very moving you know grassroots uh, titles that they give themselves. Um, yeah. Ca- you know, cabinet minister. <laughs> right. Um, I'm sure this is, you know, the traditional language that was first used by Riel that we should all have these ministers in charge of these portfolios and the first thing that Métis people should do is have a cabinet. Um, you know, and that uh, somehow the issues facing Métis people are so wildly and vastly different from the issues facing the, the Manitoba Métis. Yeah. You know, the struggles are so different that uh, they need to have this memorandum to continue to, you know, support each other where they can, yeah. you know, fight the good fight together where they can. Uh, because, you know, they're fighting very different fights and very different issues. So, you know, hopefully there's an opportunity that these guys down the future, even though they're part of the cartel, may find an opportunity to, to you know, help each other out. Yeah, absolutely. They also uh, go on to say later in this thing that a lot of this was to defend uh, defend the Métis Nation homeland uh, against the, uh, you know, um, eastern claims of, of being Métis and, and that this will help ensure that Eastern, uh, those in Eastern Canada can no longer pretend to be part of our nation, which I don't think Eastern Canadian Métis are actually pretending to be part of your Oh, well, we have to remember, Darcy, there was a, a big hole there, you see, because with when the Métis nation of Saskatchewan went defunct, right, then there was no government. Yes. And and the, the Métis people of New Brunswick could have claimed that they had autonomous government over Saskatchewan. That's true, yeah. It's a, it, yeah. It's a big threat, right? Because they Ooh. had no, those Métis, you know, poor Métis people in Saskatchewan had no government. That's right. And so any Métis organization could have claimed that homeland for themselves without that government in place. Well, that's right. But, oh, 
by the power of Riel, the government is back <laughs> and they have their cabinet meeting in place. So, you know, the borders are intact. The homeland is secure again and we can fight the good fight to, to you know, push the rest of them out into the ocean so that there's no more Métis people left east of Manitoba. Absolutely. Well, and, and it, I'm even reading down as we're talking and it, it's actually gets even funnier because you really hear the, the Chartrand spin on what uh, the branding of Métis Nation. Uh, he says, uh, the MMF will ensure that our proud name, Métis Nation, um, are not used by those trying to steal our identity for their own personal ends. You know, we just did the first 45 minutes on the show how the these cartel organizations um, really do do just that. Um, so I, I think that's hilarious in and of itself as well. But, uh, you know, again, though, this is a great, uh, great example of how they're you know, they're really trying to re reestablish the, the history of Métis people. They're really trying to rewrite uh, and revise everything to focus on going after these Eastern Métis and, and really going hard at this. So to those of you out there who agree that there are Eastern Métis, even if you're in these uh, cartel organizations, you need to start stepping up and writing, e- sending emails and things like that because... By, by sitting and doing nothing, you're allowing these organizations to kill off uh, cultural people. Um, and at this rate, it's not going to be long before the government says, hey, you know, this is what the Métis Nation says, so we're good. And Well, and, and it's exactly that, and I think people need to wake up to the fact that uh, this is the 11th hour of a Métis identity crisis politics. If you believe yep. that the Métis flag, the Métis sash the Métis fiddle are a unique thing that intrinsically just sprouted from the ground at Red River and never occurred anywhere else, then I think that's the problem. Yep. That is a rewrite of history, and that is exactly what the cartel is trying to do, is use those items as though they're part of a trademark group. Yes. That that the flag, the sash, and the jig are part of the trademark identity issues facing Métis people, like somehow those things never existed outside of Red River's origin story. That is a rebrand. That is, they're, they're in essence trying to put the TM, the trademark, on those terms. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And, and what a fallacy that is, that the flag, you know. So, I mean, what does this mean then? Only the, well, the blue flag is, you know, yeah, Red River, and the red flag is, you know, a myth. You know, yeah. it, it makes no contextual sense. And yet here's what we're trying to do. And, and, and they're very honest about it. This is about creating a brand awareness and brand recognition. So when you see those things, it boils down to Red River. Yeah. And I can't say anything. It's no different than Nike. It's no different than McDonald's. It's no different than Disney. This is exactly what the, the cartel is trying to do. Absolutely. And if you support that, then you support the marginalization of indigenous people. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I guess, you know, really that's where we should probably drop it off tonight. Uh, It's been an hour, but, um, uh, you know, the last thing in this that I think is worth mentioning is that, uh, you know, Chartrand brought up the fact that it's been almost 133 years since our leader, Louis Riel, was wrongly put to death. And again, I just want to point out that we did an episode of but what, a year and a half ago, a year ago, uh, about the exoneration of Louis Riel and uh, how the cartel does not support 
um, the exoneration of Louis Riel, and they do not support any any bid to do that. Um, yet they will proudly use his name anytime they can to say that he was their leader and and rewrite history using his name at the forefront of that, even though they don't care to fight for his exoneration. So, very interesting. Yep. The father of Manitoba, and we're happy to have him on the record as a uh, rebel and a traitor. Yeah, as a traitor and a criminal, and uh, deserved what he, the crime that he, uh, you know, got basically the punishment that he got for his crime. But we'll prop him up as our leader and and hail him without ever fighting to exonerate him. It just makes no sense. But and then a lot of what they say and do doesn't make any sense to me on a organizational level. So I encourage everybody out there to, uh, you know, if you guys think that we're awful of crap, me and Jason, um, do some research and look into some of the things we say. Um, a lot of this stuff is our opinion, but it's based on you know facts and and. Obvious, obvious news stories that cannot be explained any other way. So, uh, you know, if you do think we're... At the very least, send us some hate mail. Yes, that's exactly. Uh, Matesypodcast at gmail.com. You can send us your comments and how you... Whether you think we're right on or whether you think we're off. And uh, we actually have been... We did get a few comments on some episodes lately, and they were very positive. And uh, it's one thing to note uh, is that um, the one person commenting mentioned an elder that they knew... And who was the, who they were very close to? I think it was her aunt. Um, but she was very much the the aunt was like, hey, you know, you know, there's Métis people from all over this land. They're not just from Red River. I've talked to many Métis elders who say the exact same thing. Um, and so, I think yeah. this is really we've, we've traveled from uh, Alberta from yep. the top to the bottom, and we have been from the bottom of the Saskatchewan all the way out to several Métis communities. Yes. And I have yet to come face-to-face with a person who has blatantly told me there are no Métis people east of Manitoba. That's right. Um, and so I think it just I think it's a very sad time uh, that academics and colonial minds are, are absolutely taking over and rewriting the history of Métis people. Uh, this is what um, Harry Daniels would have said, called revisionist historians, uh, and I think a lot of them are, and... The government is encouraging it, of course. So, on that note, uh, I don't know if you have any final thoughts, Jason? Anything? No, but if I see you dressed up as a Métis person and you're not, I'm probably going to hang you with the sash you're wearing. <laughs> there you go. See? We don't like it, so you shouldn't either. No, I'm just kidding. You can have your own opinion. Um, as wrong as that might be. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, all right, guys. Well, I think for both of us, that's it. Uh, if you like the show and you want to support us on Patreon, you sure, certainly can. You don't have to. Um, but, uh, but please do. Yeah, please do. Um, until next week, I think that's it. The jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses, a fire that ignites in our 